0: What I've, what I've seen there and also in how we've responded to opening back up after the COVID break has just been this remarkable commitment on behalf of our college's employees to doing the right thing and to rallying around and supporting people. That's the number one thing I've noticed, which really just reinforces why I think this is the right decision. This is a mission. We're on a mission together.
1: Today, we're going to talk to ACC president, Dr. Robert J. Axley. Dr. Axley is ACC's seventh president, and he took over the post on July the 1st. We're going to speak to him today about some of the challenges that he sees the college facing in the future, as well as what he's enjoyed about the job so far. First of all, let's introduce yourself. Kind of give us some of your background, how you got into education, and um, why you decided to come to ACC.
0: Oh, I'll be glad to. Uh, You know, the... uh the beauty of education is it gives you lots of second chances. They give you second chances if you want to take advantage of them. And for me, education was just kind of a given that would end in high school. And so I was a pretty mediocre student in high school, you know, maybe graduated 250th out of 500, that kind of go. And then I went to work in a plant down on the ship channel over here because I grew up in Pas- South Houston, Pasadena. And uh, eventually, with some encouragement from a number of folks, went ahead and went out to San Jacinto College enrolled, and uh, a couple of people just made a huge difference in my life. One was was the janitor who was the person I felt comfortable talking to because nobody in my family had had been a higher education graduate except one brother who who's a missionary, and that was part of his his requirements. But when I got there, there, there was this gentleman named Mr. Hinojosa who would sit down and visit with me in the mornings and have a cup of coffee together, and then I felt comfortable talking to him. And the second person was a history instructor named Mr. Bridges. And Mr. Bridges made history come alive. Man, I wanted to read the textbook. I wanted to take the notes. I wanted to write the answers. And, and, and that carried over. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm elected national president of Phi Theta Kappa <laughs> and got to travel across the country and for the first time, you know, was, was someone that uh, had a position, not personal, I'm great, but a position of status that provided me a chance to see things. Phi Theta Kappa introduced me to learning just for learning's sake. And I just took off from there, finished an undergraduate degree in uh, biopsychology at University of Houston Clear Lake, went on, finished a master's degree, thought that I would be in clinical work the rest of my life, moved to Austin to open a psychiatric adolescent day hospital, found out about a PhD program in community college leadership, specifically to train community college presidents. Again, a colleague uh, who was basically hired by me to help us with penetrating the market uh, for adolescent psych needs in Austin was a professor at UT and he introduced me to John Roosh and Don Rippey and George Baker and he said, you know, you need to change your whole thought process and go be a college president. Mm-hmm. And so we did that.
1: And Dick, kind of, oh, here I am. So it was more from encouragement from others rather than just a revelation on your own part. then. Yeah, I think like. the
0: revelation was I could learn. Oh. That was the revelation. I mean, I pro- I've told this more than once. Both my parents are gone. I miss them tremendously. They've been gone Oh gosh. Now since two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine when both of passed two thousand and eight when my mom passed away after my dad. I've always said part of the part of the cause of death was chronic shock from me doing something successful academically. (laughs) (laughs) Because I still have friends today that say, Bobby, you're what?
1: So how did you, Well, and so where have you been before you got to ACC? What, what was your road to ACC as, as far as being a college president is concerned? Oh,
0: it's 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 been a joy. Part of the doctoral program at UT Austin was to do a paid internship for a semester at a college uh, with a great leader. And I happened to have an internship in Miami at Miami-Dade with a gentleman named Dr. Robert McCabe. And uh, I was there nearly 10 years, and I just had... The first experience of actually working as an administrator in a college, and it was tremendously, tremendously a challenge for our family. We had two small children Mm -hmm. when we moved. uh, Heather was five at that time and Will was three, and so we grew up till, oh, they were freshmen in high school and a seventh grader, and then I had an opportunity to become a, a chief academic officer, a VP of instruction at a college in the center of the country, a little town named Council Bluffs across the river from Omaha, Nebraska. Hmm. So we went to Iowa for seven years. And then from there, I took my first presidency in Illinois and moved from Illinois to Alabama for my second presidency, which was right before here. And I was there nearly 13 years. Hmm. And then COVID came along. And COVID uh, created an interesting opportunity for us and I'll put it that way I think it was a directed opportunity uh, divine intervention our daughter and son-in-law live in Corpus with two of our grandsons I could retire at that point from mm-hmm. Alabama have benefits and we did we just said okay let's go help them so we went to Corpus and then we were there you know before we came over here, and I kept looking for another presidency, but we knew we needed to spend a number of months or a year or so helping them through COVID when the kids were home. Mm-hmm. They both are professionals; they were both working from home, and so it was quite an interesting, fun time. I got to be the uh, tutor and instructor and professor for a second grader.
1: The in-person tutoring, yes. yeah, the in-person yes. online. My, tutoring. my children did uh, online learning too during. What know, was the your ch- What was your title? Oh. The guy that got lunch and you know that kind of stuff, and uh, it would uh, it would come in and basically like snap on them, you know, minimize your YouTube window and pull back up your <laughs> Google Classroom window, and you know the
0: benefit from that, and maybe you had it too, is a deeper appreciation for uh, our our K twelve school teachers or private school teachers, intensely whoever they are, the, the things yes. they had to deal with and the changes they had to do on the fly. I'm I'm still in awe. Mm-hmm
1: so you've been here you took the job july 1st Mm -hmm. um so in the time you've been here what do you think so far
0: there is a lot of construction to be finished
1: (laughs) we'll get to that in a second i
0: I say that because uh you know i kind of fell for the hook line and sinker line of it'll all be done before you get here (laughs) but uh boy the the challenges they've dealt with so what i've what i've seen there and also in how we've responded to opening back up after the covid break has just been this remarkable commitment on behalf of our colleges employees whether they're faculty staff groundskeepers admissions office registrar it doesn't matter you in marketing the commitment to doing the right thing and to rallying around and supporting people that's the number one thing i've noticed which really just reinforces why I think this is the right decision. This is a mission. We're on a mission together. It's you not a career and it's not a job.
1: Yeah. It's a mission. What's kind of surprised you being on the job? Well, Maybe you it's know, the challenges you didn't expect.
0: To be perfectly honest, uh, I, don't, I don't think there's been anything that has caught me off guard, so to speak, or wasn't something that I had anticipated. Yeah. Uh, I think part of that's because of, you know, 15 years experience as a president. And and so there there are so many things that regardless of the size of your institution, their leadership challenges. So so that one was was like, wow, it reinforced. I was surprised at the incredibly high quality of folks on the executive team and their commitment to doing the right thing. Uh, I continue to be amazed every time I read a new release from from the the news department here at the college about, you know, 10 years in a row with 100 percent success rate in the LVN. Pass rate on the exam—that's that's phenomenal. The 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 status of our psychology program of study, just you know, on and on and on. There's things after things. That's been a very pleasant, enjoyable surprise. One thing that has been a little bit interesting to me, and and maybe I didn't appreciate deeply enough. Without a doubt, and we're in the same place as so many other schools. The the ability to have the federal relief money basically get us through this tough time has created a, a a sense of wow this is this is really doable but i keep eye two years from now mm-hmm. the That's next legislative session <laughs> yes. when th- when those dollars may or may not be there anymore from the feds and so uh, that's been a little bit of a, a thing that I probably underestimated in my thinking. I was aware of it from talking to colleagues, but mm-hmm. until you sit down and see an actual college's budget and watch how they use those dollars creatively and effectively and legally mm-hmm. to do things, it's, that, that's been one. The other has been, I think, the number of untapped opportunities we have, and I'm excited about that.
1: Well, well give us some. Well, what do you think some of these opportunities <coughs> are?
0: I think one of the opportunities we have is is with our our workforce development continuing education area. I think we have an opportunity there to to just basically say, you know, we're in a new world. We're we're in a post-COVID environment that is not going to be responsive to the way we did continuing education and workforce in the past, which was one of my jobs at at Miami-Dade as a dean of that. So I look at that and I say, okay, it's time to be very entrepreneurial. It's time to just sit down and say let's let's take a clean sheet of paper and build a new business model. That's very exciting. The second is I think we've got a very untapped opportunity with dual enrollment and beyond that with reaching students that have been referred to as, as a missing middle. So if you think of your high school students and you think of the ones that are at the upper Echelon academic achievement, they're, they're very well sought after, and everybody knows about them, and we really want to do things. And you, and you get students at the lower end of that echelon, we're very concerned, and we work really hard. We kind of overlook the, the missing middle. And missing middle would be those students with like a 2.0 to maybe a, a 2.9 or a 3.0 GPA. Mm-hmm. Historically, there are a number of leaders out there that fell in that missing middle. A guy named Gates. <laughs> Was in that missing mill. Guy named uh, G.W. Bush was in that missing mill, and and it's just like that's a large number of students that nobody's really pursuing. And when I look at X number of graduates, fifty-six percent of them went to a college somewhere. Some of those came here. Mm-hmm. Well, there's forty-four percent that didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. We we can go after those forty-four.
1: I promise you. Mm-hmm. Show them the opportunities that they have. Absolutely,
0: because yeah. you know that's where I was. I was right in that missing mill.
1: So it's a personal for you then to kind of see that. It really to is. To tap that sort of potential. That have, well,
0: right? you know, what happens is your whole trajectory on life changes. Uh, I never thought about college growing up. Our two children never thought about anything but which college. Right. It, one generation can change the entire future for a whole family. And I think that's the most enjoyable part of what we do.
1: You haven't been here long, um, you know, just a couple months. But what do you... <clears throat> And even looking past COVID, what are some of the challenges on the horizon that you see for ACC that you feel like you're going to have to sort of prepare for or address um, during your tenure here? Because, I mean, you know. Well, you, you
0: know, have? we've had lots of discussions, we being colleagues and other presidents and, and, and leaders, about what, what does our institution look like post-COVID? There, there's no doubt that this pandemic has accelerated change in a number of areas. Number one, it has really forced institutions to sincerely embrace online learning. That has not always been the case. In fact, community colleges were pretty far ahead of the game on that than in many universities. That's changed. Yeah. So one thing I see is the way we deliver instruction. The way we make instructional opportunities available is no longer online or face-to-face or distance ed. It's going to be some sort of new configuration. It's going to be a tremendous requirement for our faculty and our instructional designers to really sit down and think, what's the best way for students to learn? How do we find the resources, for example, for a career tech program in diesel mechanics so we can have what's out there now in terms of augmented reality or virtual reality, to take apart a diesel engine right. when there's no diesel engine there. So, that's, that's where we're going to have to change our thinking. Uh, you can teach a physics lab online very easily. Yeah. Uh, they even now have, if, if you're familiar with it, uh, virtual cadavers yeah. that they no, they use not, them in. I was not
1: aware there was virtual cadavers. No. And what nice it looks
0: like is a mouse pad you roll out. Mm-hmm. And then each student with, with their own entryway in there, and it's usually a tablet computer, can look at that cadaver and decide, am I going to work on the muscles? Am I going to work on the bones? Am I going to work on the nervous system? Oh, I wonder what the heart looks like. And they have a stylus they can put into that virtual cadaver and pull out the heart and feel it beating in their fingers. That's the world. That's yes. the challenge how do we design learning in the future? The second part of that is what's the impact on our infrastructure? It's not like we're going to need a lot less money because we need fewer bricks and mortar. It's like we're going to need... To think through the best way to use bricks and mortar and virtual together, that that's a big planning challenge.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the big one. You know, if anybody were to walk on campus right now, they'd see you know mounds of dirt and guys in construction (laughs) hats walking around. (laughs) They've been doing it for a while, so I know you can't give me a day, but you know I can give you a day. I just can't (laughs) give you a date. the date a year
0: <laughs> there will be a thursday when yeah. everything's yeah. going to be beautiful
1: <laughs> when or how long do you think it'll be before construction's finished on campus you know in Roughly. all
0: honesty we just we just took a tour uh, of campus with one of our regents and and it gave that region a very very different understanding of the challenges we face with old buildings when you take things apart and now you find another thing and then you find another thing so i really honestly believe that by the uh By the middle of November, the 1st of December, there will probably be a completion that you see. Our next challenge is to plan the the rededication and the reopening. Uh, Where we are right now is, uh, I just walked through e-building. E-building is going to be a whole different environment for people, and it's getting very, very It had the most
1: radical change in 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 our bond project.
0: Yep, and the most significant part that we're we're finalizing now was uh, where that old kitchen is, you know, we have to build a new wall to seal it off. We had to take asbestos out. We got all the asbestos out of there above the ceilings and all that kind of stuff. And that's requiring how to serve students, you know, that grab-and-go stuff differently. So that's the last piece is reconfiguring that. And then it's just putting the polishing and the finishing touches on. If you went over there now, you would see very clearly uh, beautiful tile floors, entryway floors that deal with heading from the courtyard through the new front door, which is the old front door, but right. just two doors, straight past what's going to be an art gallery on one side, and you walk into that central area, and then you look across at a beautiful coffee bar. Mm-hmm. And then to the right of that, you're going to find the, the bookstore that's going to be extremely nice. And that building is a good example of the last thing because it's been so complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the sidewalks and the, and the uh landscaping project is the one people see the most because it is absolutely the most visible. Right. Uh, well, well, and it
1: affects how people get around campus. As well. And it does. And, mm-hmm. and and
0: the hard part of, of the demo piece of getting stuff out and putting back in place, you know, moving sewer lines, that stuff, that's, that's done. They're over there today with some jackhammers trying to finish out, trying to – here's another interesting thing. The sidewalks that are adjacent to our buildings – are an old design where that, that concrete goes right in and it's the base for the building. Instead so of the new design, it's a separate thing. So they mm-hmm. got to cut that loose. They're close to having that done, and I, I honestly think we'll be putting forms in and repouring concrete out there within the next two weeks. And once we get all those walkways back in, then they can really come in and start to address the landscaping. That's absolutely critical for students to get around. The other piece we're aggressively addressing is identifying how to make sure we have the push-button operated access doors in the most busy buildings and, and enough of them so that people can get around easily. And then just had a meeting on that this morning to finalize some of that. So it, it's a it's a moving target, as you know. But I do feel pretty confident that by middle of November,
1: we're going to be able to say, "Wow, it does look good." So this semester was the first one where we had majority of instruction <coughs> be face-to-face. It was for the first time um, 18 months, I think, close to that, or 19 months, really. How do you feel the college has been dealing with that? I don't want to say a transition back to normal because it's not back <laughs> to normal beyond any means. But what do you feel like or how do you feel like we've handled this transition to a more face-to-face environment as to what it was. Well, you know, I've period. heard, the, I've
0: heard the term we're going to open the campus back up and, and basically that's what we've done. We've, we've reopened and, and started operations on campus. And, and I've been extremely impressed with the protocols that have been in place with the managing of the numbers. And just before I came over here, I was, I was taking a look at the, the numbers. And when I say the numbers, we're talking about the self-identified I've been exposed to the virus or I'm, I've positive to the virus, and that leads to contact tracing and self-quarantine, blah, blah, blah. Clearly, uh, once we opened back up with the convocation, those numbers really jumped way, way up. There's a steady trend down over the last two and a half, three weeks. That's got me very, very hopeful. We've managed that piece extraordinarily well. We've seen great support for requests for people to be careful, wear masks, uh, you know, it's not so much about I wear my mask when I'm out because of me. It's because I want to make sure I don't do anything to harm anyone else. Right. It's just that simple. And people have taken that. The other thing that I think we've done incredibly well is understand the concept of human connectedness. And and the and the research is pretty fascinating about our needs for connecting as humans. And then the social connectedness, how we connect with other We've done a good job, a really good job at reestablishing that with activities led by, by primarily you know Wendy and her folks, but supported a hundred percent by the other folks. Uh, you couldn't ask for more support for students than what our uh, student services folks have done from, from money and financial aid that they were eligible to to meeting them whenever they needed to be there. A great example of how we pulled together was the first day of classes when our small bookstore staff. Of four full-time people all had to go in quarantine and so I think busiest you were one week. of the I folks that went over and helped run the, the bookstore
1: <laughs> It's the busiest and it's their busiest week of the entire year yeah
0: yeah and so you know we had everybody from from our chief financial officer to uh, my executive assistant. Over there doing everything they could to fill book orders, pull book orders, talk to the bookstore folks at home on the phone to understand how to do it, put them in the bags, hand delivering them down to the people in their cars. I mean, it was astounding the response there. And that's just one example of how the college pulls together. You couldn't ask for more.
1: Thank you for speaking with us today, Doctor Exley. To read about these stories and more, visit alvincollege.edu.